Praise the Lord. So good to be together. Tim, are you able to bring up scripture like Nick does? Well, for I don't need it right away. Matthew 5, 1 through 20. Matthew 5, 1 through 20. If you're able, fine. If you're not, praise the Lord. To preach the Word of God, to know the Word of God, to learn the Word of God. I heard this week that uh, one of the concerns one of the men of God had was maybe one explanation for some people not being fully established in God is that the Word of God is not being accepted and preached and heard. We're thankful. It is here. At any time you have an opportunity to get with Pastor Schultze, Pastor Nikki, or other godly people and learn the Word of God. It's important. Two Sundays ago, Pastor Nikki preached from 1 Timothy. And in Timothy's letter, Pastor Nikki was astonished by the high standard that Paul, the Apostle Paul exhorted uh, Timothy to have concerning character, if you remember, and concerning the lifestyle of bishops and deacons. And he pointed out that he was a little astonished at, uh, that, at how high the character standard was and the conduct standard was. And we're thankful for that. Today, I want to continue in that same vein on the, the standard that Christ would have us to live. But I want to look at it in a little different angle. We, as Christ's followers, are measured by the standard of Jesus Christ. And right off the bat, if you've read your Bible, in the New Testament, it starts with Matthew. And right off the bat, Jesus preaches a sermon that we call the Sermon on the Mount. And if you read it closely, it kind of sets the standard pretty high. So I'm going to look at that today in Matthew's Gospel, in the first book of the New Testament, in the Matthew's Gospel, Matthew begins to explain the birth of Jesus Christ, the childhood of Jesus living in Nazareth in the first two chapters. And in uh, chapter 3, we read of the baptism of Jesus Christ and the temptation. And then in chapter 4, it says that Jesus departed from Nazareth and he went to Galilee, and he lived in Capernaum. And it says in Matthew 4, 17, And from that time Jesus began to preach and to say, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And I sometimes wonder if we really comprehend what this kingdom is 
and what it's like. But Jesus made it pretty clear in his explanation of what the kingdom of heaven is like if you read, if you haven't read it, you need to read it and reread it. In Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, we see the very first teaching of Jesus, according to Matthew, the very first one. Kind of set the bar pretty high right off the bat. And many people, we commonly call this the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, there's a location in Israel in the Sea of Galilee where they commemorate this sermon called the Mount of Beatitudes. And you can go there, and there's actually a building built there, and they have the scripture engraved all around. It's a beautiful location. You can look out over the sea. I see some of you shaking your heads. You've been there. We were privileged to be there when Reverend Edgar Martin memorized chapters 5, 6, and 7. And under the anointing of God, preached that sermon. And it was, for those of us who were there, and everyone that was there has witnessed and testified, it was probably one of the most highest anointed moment, or one of the most in our lives, to see a prophet of God reading the word, or not reading, speaking the words of Jesus Christ. So today I want to take a new and a fresh look at the Sermon on the Mount. When I reread it, the thought occurred to me, it was almost as if Jesus said, okay, I told you, there's a kingdom, a different kingdom, a kingdom of heaven. I'm bringing it. I'm going to reign over it. It's eternal. (laughs) It's big. And I want to show you what it looks like. And he drew back the curtain to the kingdom of heaven. It was like Jesus was saying, you need to switch gears. It's not like this earth. It's not like anything you know about unless the spirits come upon you. I want to give you new eyes to see what my kingdom that I'm bringing to earth is like and will be like forever. And he began in three chapters to show his disciples something totally new. So are you able to bring it up? One. So let's stand together and we will read from Matthew chapter 5. Does uh, 
Does it, the screen have it? Get your Bibles out if you cannot see the screen, and we'll read it responsive. So I will read the odd verses, and you read the even verses, and let's read 1 through 20 in the King James Version. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain, and when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers. For they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. God bless the reading of His Word. You may be seated. Jump over to chapter 7, 28. 7, 28 says, And it came to pass, when He had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at His doctrine. You should be astonished. You should be amazed and astonished 
at what you just heard, for it runs contrary to everything you try to do in this world. You know, we've heard stories, and you've probably met people, or you may have, but you've heard stories, missionary stories, where someone who has never heard anything about this, never heard a thing. I remember Al French's testimony, so beautiful. He says, I never went to church, was never raised in church, didn't know what the Bible said, didn't know anything about what the Bible said, and I heard it preached on TV, and I gave my heart to Jesus. Someone who's confronted with the words that I just read or any of the words that you read in this book, they're astonished. They're just like, Wow, what? Many times the listeners and followers of Jesus Christ responded. You can go through the Gospels and read it. They responded and said, these are hard sayings. Remember, it's been said that. In fact... The disciples themselves responded once in Matthew 19, 25, and 26 when Jesus said, well, let's just flip over there. Matthew 19, 25. I need to go back. To 23, and Jesus said unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you, that a rich man shall hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. We're all rich. You know, we have a whole trend in America that says that wants to blame the one percenters or the five percenters for being too rich and oppressive to the rest of America. The facts are, if you do the math, and you take all of us in America, divide by all the people in the rest of the world, we're in the top 5% or 1%. We're the rich. We're the rich. And again, I say unto you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when his disciples heard it, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? But Jesus beheld them and said unto them, With men this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Hallelujah. All things are possible through the Spirit of God. Aren't we thankful we've been taught that there is a spirit within us? There's a spirit we can invite into us. There's a baptism of the spirit that can cause us to be drawn to this kingdom. God draws you by His grace. Think of that. Just that fact is enough to praise the Lord for. That we've been drawn, that we want to be drawn into the things of God. 
the disciples were exceedingly amazed. But with God, all things are possible. Amen. Is this standard possible? <laughs> Not with men. But with God, yes, we must answer all things are possible. We all engage the world in many different ways. And most of us engage worldly behavior at work. I have co-workers at work, and I, I have guys that think highly of me. I've been in the business a long time, and we get along great. One of my co-workers got into the habit, and it took me a while realizing, saying, greeted me by saying, Pastor Nicky, this is one you'd love. What's the good word, Jerry? It's the first thing he'd say to me, first thing in the morning, and I'm going, after about twice, I realized this is my opportunity, Pastor Nicky. You know, and my first feeble effort was, well, God's still on the throne, and I'm thankful I'm saved, you know. And uh, so then I thought, well, I'm, I'm going to get a little, little more uh, into this. Next time he asked me, what's the good word? And I began a habit of writing scripture down that had encouraged me for the day on a postcard and just carrying it around in my pocket and reading it during the day. And so I was, um, I had a scripture from Ephesians 4.32 that I had written down on a card. I thought I had the card here with me, and I didn't. But Ephesians 4... 32, and what does Ephesians 4.32 says? Just a simple little exhortation from the Apostle Paul. I wrote it down. I thought it would be good for me to memorize this scripture. And it says in Ephesians 4.32, And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. I mean, we're Christians. We believe the Bible. You know, that's just a simple little verse, isn't it? So I got the normal greeting. What's the good word? I said, well, I'm memorizing a verse. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Now, this is, a, this is a man that was raised in a Christian home, acknowledges Christ, and, and attends church probably. I don't know for sure where he's at with Christ, but I know his background. Very well-versed. First words out of his mouth. I'm not being kind to stupid people. We, in our business, we engage people a lot. We're asking people if we can assist them with their finances and there are a lot of people <laughs> that don't fully comprehend or understand the disciplines of financial stewardship. <laughs> you know, so, and he, we have to deal with people that, you know, when their finances and they don't understand certain financial investments or financial retirement or financial whatever. 
And that was his first word. I cannot be kind to stupid people. The world knows. I mean, come on, guys. I mean, this guy was honest. It just blurted out of him. They know that's an impossible standard. Be kind to one another? <laughs> it's impossible outside of Jesus Christ. So I said, you know, I kind of like, well, of course we're going to have to be kind. <laughs> you know, he realized I was serious then. He says, okay, Jerry, but, and then he got really serious. He says, but we cannot be kind to pedophiles. And forgiving. It's an impossible standard, isn't it? But Christ died for all of us. So that was one example that you and I run into when we begin to proclaim to the world what this really says. God has drawn you. You wouldn't be here if God hadn't drawn you. The world understands it's a supernatural, impossible way of living. That's why Peter fell on his knees and said to Jesus, Depart from me. <laughs> I mean, the first honest reaction. Jesus begins his ministry by astonishing the crowds with an impossible standard to be lived. And then he, he really sums all that up and says, And I say unto you, and we read it together in verse 20, Look at these leaders that you highly esteem and you submit to, rightfully so, we're to submit to authority, the scribes and the Pharisees, and he said, that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of these scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. He raised the bar. Raised the bar on them right off the bat. What we just read was a description to me, of the kind of people you're going to see in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus said, okay, you want to see what it looks like, where I'm at, and who's behind me, and who's following me, and who's with me? I'll show you who those people are. They're the poor in spirit. I'll show you what they look like. In the world, we're measured. Come on now. We got a lot of sports fans. You're measured by your ability. You're measured by your success. How much did you achieve? How big's your house? What kind of car are you driving? We're measured 
by our materialism, by our personality. How witty are you? How, how good are you? How educated are you? How competitive are you? I love competition. Derek, we, we were having a great time, weren't we, playing basketball? We had a great time. We're measured by how competitive we are, men. Show me a game that at some point either somebody gets mad or somebody gets puffed up or someone gets proud or someone gets disappointed in competition. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with it. But most of us can't hardly handle competition. Even if it's just a game with kids. Just play a game with kids and see if someone at some point doesn't get a little carnal. We're measured by power, money, by our smarts, and by our popularity. How many people follow us on Facebook and Twitter? And Jesus began to say, my kingdom doesn't look like that. My kingdom looks like Matthew chapter 5. And then he went on, not only (laughs) to tell us what the people look like in his kingdom... But he goes into chapter 5, and right off the bat, he deals with anger and broken relationships. Goes on to deal with adultery and sexual perversion. Then he talks about saying what you mean and meaning what you say and oaths, and he deals with how to live with our enemies. And then he concludes chapter 5, first part of his sermon, In verse 48, be ye therefore perfect, even as my Father, which is in heaven, is perfect. He continues his sermon in chapter 6 by talking about how we're to give and our almsgiving gives the classic Instruction on prayer and fasting, an introduction to the prayer of the Lord's Prayer. Talks about our possessions, talks about our attitudes, our anxieties, our thought life, and our priorities. In chapter 6, says we shouldn't be worried about anything, and then sums it all up and says, Seek ye first, first the kingdom, His kingdom, and His righteousness, and all these things that you need will be added unto you. I want to strive for this kingdom. Amen. He went into chapter 7 and says, don't be judging or passing judgment. He talked more about prayer and he talked straight as the gate. And then he talked about false prophets and wisdom. And he summed up chapter 7 by saying, therefore, all things whatsoever you would that men would do to you, do you even so to them for this is the law and the prophets. And we commonly call that the golden rule. 
I'm thankful that we have a God who's not only raised the bar and set the standard, but a God who's made it possible to live it. And then he really astonished him in chapter 7 in Matthew when he said, there's a lot of people out there saying something. A lot of people. Not everyone that saith to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Those are the ones. Let's jump back. I read this book. This was a book written several years ago. Tried to, um, attempted to put the Bible into uh, modern language. And it kind of um, challenges me when I read this. Let's see what Eugene Peterson says when we read the Beatitudes. And when Jesus saw his ministry drawing huge crowds, he climbed a hillside. And arriving at a quiet place, he sat down and taught them. And this is what he said. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there's more of God and His rule. You know, a lot of the people that I see pushing to come into the kingdom of God, a lot of the people that I find in the kingdom of God over the last years that I've been striving to get into this kingdom and stay in it are people that were at the end of the rope. They had already tried everything else. Life had already dealt them some disasters. And they were at the end of the rope. When we realize we're at the end of... You know what the end of the rope means? It means you've thrown the life jacket out on the rope and that's all there is. There's no more. <laughs> My wife kind of would say she was at the end of the rope last week. We had our two granddaughters with us, nine and six, okay? You want to have your grandchildren with you and stay with you for a full week? Blessed are all you who have grandchildren in town. You get them for one day and you send them home. We're not like that. They have to come and be with us for a long time. You know, and they ask all these interesting questions, and they're real active. <laughs> Grandma, I don't want to eat that. Grandma, I don't want to eat that. Grandma, let's go do this. Grandma, let's go do that. <clears throat> and then you finally get them all settled down in the evening, and you're wore out, and you start reading the Bible story. Let's just read a wonderful Bible story about creation. God created the world, and then the serpent came. Wait a minute, the serpent, who made the devil? And you go. <laughs> That's a tough one, folks. 
Why did God put that tree in the garden for them to be tempted in the first place? <laughs> Let's just read the Bible story. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you're at the end of the rope. I mean, you know, you're just trying to read some. Let's jump up David and Goliath. <laughs> and we, I mean, we try. And then, I mean, then I says, well, you know, then I said, there's pride in the heart of man, and we can't have pride. And my oldest granddaughter says, what do you mean we can't have pride? I did something right, and somebody walked up to me and said they were proud of me. Now you've got to explain the difference about, you know, which side of pride is good and which is bad. It's supernatural to raise children in the ways of God. You get to the end of your rope, don't you? You're raising your children. You're caring for them and your grandchildren. Blessed are you when you acknowledge that you're at the end of the rope. You can't do it. It's going to take God. When you get to that point, when you get to the point where you're humble, you realize it, You're blessed when you feel like you've lost what is most dear to you. Only then can you be embraced by the one who is most dear. And all of us have lost many things. and We realize that our only true comfort is in Christ himself. You're blessed when you're content with just who you are. No more, no less. That's the moment you find yourselves proud owners of everything that cannot be bought. Now there's a sermon. I mean, we've already... Th these three chapters could be a whole year-long series of sermons, could they not, Pastor? Books have been written about them. I'm just saying, let's take a new, clear look at them. You're blessed when you're content. You're blessed when you've worked up a good appetite for God. For He's the food and drink of the best meal you'll ever eat. You're blessed when you care. At that moment of being careful, you'll find yourselves cared for. You know, before we were Christians, we really didn't care, did we? Things didn't bother us as much. But now that the Spirit of the living God is living within us, there's a little care, a little nudge that we do what's right. You're blessed when you get your inside world, your mind and your heart put right. Then you can see God in the outside world. You're blessed when you can show people how to cooperate instead of competing or fighting. That's when you discover who you really are and where your place is in God's family. You're blessed 
when your commitment to God provokes persecution. And the persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. Not only that, but count yourself blessed every time people put you down, throw you out, speak lies about you, or discredit you. What it means is that the truth is too close for comfort for them, and they're uncomfortable. You can be glad when that happens. Give a cheer even. For though they don't like it, I do, and all heaven applauds. And know that you are in good company. My prophets and witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. A fresh look of who is in the kingdom of heaven. Those are the people that are in the kingdom of heaven. And we talk about it being possible through Christ or being impossible. I was at, speaking of grandchildren, one of the, if you really want to learn about life, have the grandchildren around for a while. Take them down to the park. Went down to Highland Park, and you just normally, you know, they're so active, you just turn them loose on that beautiful playground. They have a beautiful playground at Highland Park. And you sit down on the bench. <laughs> and the interesting thing was I sit down on the bench, and I thought, well, I'm just going to observe what goes on. It is possible. There is a spirit within us. There's a childlike spirit within us that makes it possible. They have this beautiful thing called a zip line. I don't know if any of you, everybody knows what a zip line is. But you climb up some steps and you get a hold of this thing and you ride the line down to the end. Well, there were a lot of kids at the playground. So I was watching my granddaughters climb up and ride the zip line down. And honestly, I was amazed I was totally amazed. Do you know there are unwritten rules that we as a society put on each other in any setting we're in? Some people know those and some don't. So anyway, on the zip line, it was as if I was totally shocked. It was as if... Everyone knew the rule. I was going, there was no rules posted. These were poor kids. Uh, you know, all nationalities were represented. There were, I mean, several nationalities. African-American, white, poor, middle class. There weren't, weren't very many rich kids. Evidently, they have their own playgrounds. But seriously, I mean, there were all these kids, and they were all lined up to go on the zip line. Well, when you go all the way to the end, it bounces back and it comes halfway back and you jump off. Do you want to know what every single child, now maybe I just caught it at an unusual time, every single child jumped off, got a hold of the line and walked it all the way back to the next person. And there was no rule. No one told them to do it. Now, I know that if you were there all day, there would probably be some exceptions. But I mean, adults driving cars, 
Go drive down the interstate and the big sign says road construction two miles. Road construction one mile, road construction a half mile. We all have to get in one lane. And then watch all the cars jump out of the right lane, jump in the left lane and try to jump in the front. You know what I'm talking about? That's what adults do. Everybody, all the semis are forming one lane, and no, no, we got to have these exception people that think they can run all the way up there. But there is within us the Spirit of God, a childlike spirit that the kingdom of God can dwell in. And it's meekness. It's purity. It's mourning with those who mourn, carrying burdens. It's the poor in spirit coming to the acknowledgement that unless God intercedes, our brains and our popularity will not get us through. These are the kinds of people that are found that I want to be around, that I want to be like. Those who have lost loved ones and are seeking God. Those who are contented with life as they found it. Those who are hungry for God. Those that you meet that are careful enough to listen to you in your conversation and care about really how you're doing. Those who are merciful, to extend mercy. Don't put them on your resume. I haven't seen any of those things on a good resume. Because in this world, the good jobs, the high-powered jobs is how competitive are you, how much have you succeeded, what your ambitions are. But not in Jesus' kingdom. In Jesus' kingdom, it's for the lowly of heart. It's for those of us who realize that we want to be in eternity with a God who loves us. That's the resume I want to build. So let's jump to chapter 7. Just a little overview. Go home, read it. Get some new insight into it. Let it astound you. Let it astonish you like it should. It should astonish you when you read this book. It should just, whoa, shake you up a little bit when you begin to read this book. And Jesus said in Chapter 7, Therefore, whoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock, and the rain descended, life descended, life happens. 
And the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon the house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, shall be likened unto a foolish man, which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and they built upon the house, and beat upon the house, and it fell and great was the fall of it. Be ye therefore perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. Let's strive for it. Let's pray for it. Let's look for it. And the violent, take it by force. That's my sermon this morning. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you're challenged to be astonished at this word and be come alive to the kingdom of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven.